Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. We are very, very blessed, honored and privileged to have a special, I feel like she's, I feel like I know her already, but I've only really fully met her in person in the flesh today and have already been blessed and blown away um, by her her presence and her uh, presentation actually of just the word of God in scripture and how um, when we align our lives with the word of God, how it can truly transform us from the inside out. And I, I were truly blessed today to have, I wanted, I wanted to get her introduction right for the last service. And um, I wanna um, actually introduce you to Joe Hargraves, all right? She is a powerful woman of God. She's a pastor, a psychotherapist, a writer, and a speaker. She's passionate about integrating theology and therapy, lives in Lincoln with her husband, who is here, Dan, and three kids, writes under the name, this is what I love, writes under the name, The Faith-Filled Therapist. Well, can we give The Faith-Filled Therapist, Joe Hargraves, a warm welcome as she comes and brings the Word of God? second service if you're watching online a really big welcome to you as well it's great to have you tuned in feel free to take your seats guys if you are in the room now you'd be glad to know I have got my glasses with me on this service because the last service I'm gonna be honest the preach went well but I um, couldn't read this couldn't read the salvation prayer so um, hopefully the people that responded are actually saved because uh, I said it wrong but anyway anyway of course they are God is good and kind and so yep my name is Joe. I'm here with my brilliant husband Dan together we lead a church in Lincoln and um, called Alive and we've left that church in good hands today they're also looking after our three children so hopefully everything is okay but it's really wonderful to be with you and as Chantal said I am a psychotherapist and just to put that into context because some people think oh that sounds a bit new agey what is a psychotherapist let's get into the root of the word that psycho really is the Greek word for your soul, your mental health, your inner kind of being, soul, will, and emotions. And then therapist is from the Latin therapia, which means to bring wholeness. So I think when people are bringing wholeness to people's mind, their will, and their emotions, they need to be steeped in the Word of God. It's a God job, isn't it? We can't just do a good job of bringing wholeness and wellness to people. We want to bring a God job. So I'm a psychotherapist. When my, uh, my eldest boy called Hudson, he is 10, and he was asked, he was relaying this story to me. They were asking what my mum and dad did. So I said, dad is a pastor, and mum is a therapist that's a psycho. And I was like, no, no, though actually I look at Dan and he's like, sometimes, you know, 
couple of days a month. But anyway, you know. Um, so he um, got it wrong. But no, I'm very much a therapist, um, a psychotherapist, and I am passionate about putting God and his design for humanity in the center of our conversations on wellness, mental health, wholeness, emotional health, because who knows, it's all God's idea. The idea of well-being, wholeness, mental health is the blueprint from humanity that comes straight from heaven and straight from the fingertips of the God who created you. Mental health is God's design, his blueprint. And as you'll know, you only have to look at the news, scroll through social media, have a conversation with somebody at the school gates. There is a large narrative in the world on mental health. There's a lot of talk around wellness, mental health, particularly post-COVID. And I think we as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus, as those who know the lover of our soul, that we're knitted together, body, soul, and spirit, that God is, has a plan for humanity, for our wellness, our wholeness, our emotional health, and our well-being. So let's get straight into the, um, Thessalonians. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and I'm going to read you from the NIV, but then also from the message, because I love it. This is the NIV. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. May he sanctify you through and through and make your whole spirit, soul, and body kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then the message paraphrase, I think, digs into it so beautifully. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. May he put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said he'll do it, he'll do it. He said he'll do it. He said he'll make you holy. He said he'll make you whole in your body, your soul, and your spirit. He is completely dependable. If he said he'll do it, he will do it. And this is why I think the church can be on the front foot when it comes to conversations on mental health, wholeness, well-being, is because we truly understand the holistic nature of humanity. We know that we're not just a body. We know that we're not just our mind, our will, our emotions. We know that we are tripartite beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. And so often in the world, in new age and secular society, they only deal with two out of the three. They might deal with your body, they might deal with your soul and how to manage your emotions and all that kind of stuff, but miss the fact that we are three, body, soul, spirit, our physical body, our soul, which is our mind, our will and our emotions, and then our spirit, which is the part, our inner person connected to God, the deepest, most intimate connection with God, spirit to spirit. Ephesians 2 tells us that we're seated in heavenly places. That's our spirit. So when we're looking at wholeness, we need to be looking at body, soul, spirit. And actually, when I was training in psychotherapy, so much of what I learned is so biblical. Often they'd say, we've had some really interesting breakthrough. We've learned this and we've learned that. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, don't want to be the smug Christian in the corner, but I know it. I read it in Romans 12 too. I know that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind because it tells me in the scripture, and maybe in a minute it will come up on the screen, just a bit of intersection between therapy meditation. Oh, it's so important to meditate. Our brains are created to meditate. I know. 
We read it in Psalm 1, that when we meditate, we're like trees planted by flowing streams. But actually what happens is the world co-ops, colonizes, and takes God's words, twists it, and claims it as its own. But I'm passionate about saying, we'll have that back, thank you very much. Thank you very much, New Age, we'll take that back. Thank you very much, Secular Psychology, we'll take that back. Because it's biblical, it's all in Scripture. We read it in, in Psalm 46, mindfulness is huge. And some Christians get really uppity about mindfulness. But let me tell you, it's about being still and knowing. Now, where do we read that? Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Mindfulness is biblical. It's God's idea because he knitted your brain together. Cognitive behavioral therapy, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The whole basis of cognitive behavioral therapy is based on changing the way you think before you change the way you live. Scriptural. Old Testament to New Testament, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The NLT puts it, let God help you change the way you think. And I'm whizzing through these because I am going to unpack them. Okay, intentional thinking. Really quickly, I mentioned an experiment. Two groups of people um, all suffering with anxiety, depression, stress. And I know through my work as a pastor and I know through my work as a therapist that there will be people in this room who are anxious, stressed, overwhelmed, depressed. The stuff going on in your mind, and maybe you haven't even told anyone the struggle for you. May I just say the context of this talk and the context of God's making you holy and whole is compassion. That he is slow to anger, abounding in love, full of compassion. He's not angry. He's just inviting you into wholeness and wellness. He's not fed up or irritated by you. He's not proclaiming, just have more faith. Often the places that we struggle the most and we hide from Christ are the very places that we need his friendship and his healing touch and his breath the most. Just look at Genesis 1. In the beginning, it was dark and chaotic and messy. But God didn't stand away from the mess. He came into it and he hovered and he breathed and he created life and goodness. If you feel like your mind is like that, I love this one paraphrase that talks about it as a soup of nothingness in the beginning. If you feel that, your head, your heart, your mind, it's cloudy, it's messy, it's dark, it's chaotic, okay. Let's invite the Holy Spirit, the Ruach, the breath of God to hover over you, to breathe, to create order out of chaos, beauty out of ashes, light out of darkness. And God said it's good. It's very good. God's always used his breath, his spirit to bring order to chaos. And he can do the same with us today. So if you're sat here thinking, oh, this is me, I'm struggling, it's difficult. Okay, God's got you. He's on a plan to make you holy and whole. So this group of people, some struggling with anxiety, stress, um, both groups, they were put in two different groups. One was left to think whatever they wanted. So the control group lasts maybe six weeks. So they could think for a set amount of time every day. They could think about whatever they wanted to think about. This other group had to think intentionally. They had to, it wasn't a Christian study, but they had to think secular good thoughts, you know, healthy, good 
positive thoughts. Now, at the end of the control group, they brought the groups together. The ones that had been left to think whatever they wanted to think, whatever thought entered their mind, they ruminated on it, they allowed it to take up real estate in their mind. They were just as anxious, just as stressed, just as depressed as many um, outworkings of whether it's OCD or whatever type of behaviors that were out symptoms of some of the things that they were feeling. They still felt all of that, if not a bit worse. Now, interestingly, the group who meditated, who spent time thinking intentionally good, positive thoughts, saw a dramatic drop in their levels of anxiety. They saw breakthrough in their feelings of depression. They found minimalizing around some of their obsessive compulsive behaviors because even though this was a secular study, they're still dealing with the brain that God's knitted together. And God has knitted your brain together, not for rumination on things that are negative and overwhelming and stressful, but to meditate on things that we read in Philippians 4.8, things that were excellent, true, noble, praiseworthy. Think about those things. So what we think about matters. It really matters. And as Dr. Caroline Lee said, she's written a brilliant book. She says, science is always catching up with scripture. And that's what I find when I get my medical, when I get my um, um, BACP um, leaflet through the door with all of the latest research and all that kind of thing. I, I just think, yeah, that's great. But I knew, I, I know. I know, that when, I know that gratitude reduces anxiety. I know that. You didn't need to do a study. I know because it tells me in Philippians 4.6. Don't be anxious about anything but through gratitude, thanksgiving, supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Science is catching up with scripture and we can afford. We should be. And this is not, this is said with compassion. But we have an invitation to be the healthiest, holiest, most aligned people around, showing people that actually we don't need to look on TikTok or we don't need to scroll through the latest research. We can get our head into the word of God and it will help us body, soul and spirit. So we know God knitted us together. He knitted you together. We read it in Psalm 139, where it says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are. And sometimes that can feel like a nice T-shirt slogan or a fridge magnet or something nice that we'd have on a tote bag. But there's evidence. You know, if somebody says to me, Oh, Joe." You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm like, thanks, give me the data. Like, give me the quantifiable data. Why? Like, what is it? And this is why I love studying the brain. Because when you find out about how intricately you have been created, how powerfully and beautifully and intentionally you have been knitted together, you cannot feel like a mistake. You cannot think that there's no plan, no purpose, no trajectory for your healing and wholeness and well-being. God is good. God is kind. God has a plan of healing. And I know in a room of people this size, people will have experienced some stuff. People will have experienced pain and trauma and have a whole list of things that happen to them. Again, God is compassionate. He has compassionate and still healing and wholeness for you. And I don't say this from a place of having nailed it, thinking, oh, do you know, like I just do these principles in the Bible and I'm absolutely fine. That's not it. I have to outwork it every single day. I'm learning these principles and realizing that they're 
powerful, spiritual, God-given principles, but I can earth them and respond in how I live my everyday, ordinary life. Sometimes I get it right, sometimes I get it wrong. Sometimes I know that God's making me holy and whole. Sometimes I throw a plate across the kitchen. My husband will testify to it. Sometimes, you know, sometimes I feel like, yes, I, God, you are making me holy and whole. Sometimes I'm like get, wanting to bash somebody with a shopping trolley because they're walking so slowly in front of me. I'm not saying this because I've nailed it. I'm saying I'm learning and God is showing me, and God is giving me a blueprint that I want to share to say therapy and theology, science and scripture are not enemies. They can be integrated. They all come under the word of God. It's all his idea. So let me give you some quick, um, brilliant facts. This will make you look very clever at a dinner party or a pub quiz if you know some of these things. But let me just give you some quick whistle-stop tour facts. And if you're, um, if you're watching online, you can write these down or um, you can tweet them or I don't know. They're, they're quite tweetable facts should you wish to do so. But anyway, listen to this. Your brain storage capacity is virtually unlimited. But if we were going to put some kind of limit on it, because you do have up to one quadrillion connections in your brain. Um, you can have about 300 years worth of your favorite Netflix show going on repeat in your brain. Now this is powerful, isn't it? Brain information travels up to 268 miles per hour. So when a neuron stimulated, it generates an electrical impulse that travels from cell to cell. So this is going on in our brains. Now when we learn this stuff, we don't go, oh, that's really great science. That's really great therapy. I'm like, no, that's really great scripture. That's really great theology. That's Psalm 139. We have been knitted together. This, our brain works this way because God has created it and commissioned it to do so. So it's a myth that you only use 10% of your brain, though it could be arguable for some people, but we won't go into that. But you do actually use all of it. So even when you're sleeping, your brain is always active. And here is my favorite statistic. It's so biblical. Anything that talks about a grain of sand sounds beautifully biblical to me. But a piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand contains 100,000 neurons and 1 billion synapses. Isn't that amazing? Just one little piece of brain tissue. There's your data, there's your fact, there's your quantifiable stuff for people who want to know, give me the facts of why I'm fearfully, wonderfully made, of why I'm valuable, of why I have a purpose and a plan. There's some great data for you there. And here we go. Oh, there's another one here. The brain can generate about 23 watts of power, enough to power a light bulb. So I don't know if anybody's ever seen the experiment. Uh, well, there's an experiment where um, two lads are sat on the floor and they've got a light bulb and then they're trying to generate electricity and static through their socks and then they press the light bulb and the light bulb. Anyway, it's interesting. It's not very scientific, but it was on TikTok and it was quite amusing. So anyway, and here's a final fact for you and one that me and my husband sometimes have a slight discrepancy on because he's like, surely it's less. And I'm like, surely it's more. But we have between 70 to 90,000 thoughts every single day every single day. Maybe it's true, maybe you're in my husband's camp and you're like, I just don't feel like it's that much. <laughs> or maybe you're in my camp and I'm like, yeah, maybe before breakfast. 
Like, what about for the whole day? 70 to 90,000 thoughts every single day. Now, are there any overthinkers in here? Any people who tend to overthink? Okay, hello. Hello, sir. I see you. See that hand. See that hand. See that hand. If you're struggling and thinking, shall I put up my hand or not? You are an overthinker. <laughs> Welcome to the club. I will just tell you. But for, the, my, for my fellow overthinkers, I've written you a little poem here that says this. Sometimes I tend to overthink and make up stories in my head. I assume the worst and fill in the gaps of all the things that were not said. I second guess and analyze, play guessing games and catastrophize. And I know that this is just not wise, though I'm sure that I could earn first prize or at least a medal of some sort if overthinking were a sport. Can anybody relate to that? If overthinking were a sport, you'd be well decorated up here on the podium with all of your medals. But hey, the Bible has a lot to say about thinking. And that's where I want to zoom in for the rest of the time that we have together. That our thoughts, that what go on in our mind, how we use our brain is so important. It's so powerful with regards to being well and holy and whole. And I think God has given us a great blueprint, but we've got a responsibility. As in, we have an ability to respond. We have an ability to respond to that feeling of overwhelm, of stress, of anxiety, depression. It is not a life sentence over you. It's very real and you have all of my compassion in the world. I get it. It's painful and difficult. But it's not a life sentence over you because God has given you tools for you to be able to take responsibility, which isn't about blame. It's about your ability to respond to your situation. Because your thoughts are a seed that you plant and you will eat the fruit of that seed. Your thoughts are a seed that you plant and you will eat the fruit of that seed. Maybe not right now, but maybe some point in your future. And interestingly, and we haven't got time to go into this, but if anybody's into epigenetics or if you want to know more about epigenetics, is basically how what is knitted in us can get passed down to the third and the fourth generation. Now, that's a scientific term, but it's so biblical, isn't it? It's so Deuteronomy, it's blessings and curses to the third and the fourth generation. So what we think, how we live, what we choose does have an impact, not just on us, on our body, soul and spirit, but on generations to come. Because when you think a thought, it's not just arbitrary. Like I said, scripture has so much to say. Maybe they came up on the screen. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, fixed on you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding or your own thought presses processes. Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his, his heart, so is he. Think anxious thoughts, you'll be anxious. Confirmation bias is so powerful because your brain is always looking for evidence of what you've told it to be true. That's what your brain does. So if I'm up here thinking, everyone hates this talk, it's really boring, they're never going to invite me back, Chantal and John are going to write me a letter and put it in a big brown envelope saying, I think you're a heretic. If I'm like, um, hopefully that's not the case, but um, if I'm thinking that and I've programmed my brain, my brain's going to be scanning the room for evidence that, of what I've told it to be true. Oh gosh, so they're not listening, they're looking at their phone. I'm not, but I've got, I haven't got my glasses on, so I'm not pointing at anyone in particular, please. Um, so don't worry about that. Like, they look bored, they look annoyed at me. My brain will be like, right, there you go, there's your evidence of what you've told it to be true. What you think is so important. If you think people don't listen to you, you'll 
but your brain will scan for that. If you think that people are fed up with you or disinterested, exactly the same. Your brain will walk into a room and look at every minutiae detail to confirm what you've told it to be true. And God knows this. Why? Because he knitted our brain together. He created it. He designed it. His blueprint. He made it. So this is why he tells us in Proverbs 4.23, be very careful about what you think because your thoughts run your life. This is where secular society, new age, get into this whole manifestation thing. Oh, I manif- you know, I believed it, I declared it, I manifested wealth in my life. In some ways, and hear me right, in some ways that works. But, but what they're doing is they're hijacking a God design and making it all about themselves. Look what I manifested. But instead, we align ourselves with the God design that we declare things, we speak things, our we confirmation bias is a real thing. And instead of then saying, look what I manifested, we're like God, Ephesians 3.20, who is exceedingly and abundantly more, who is good and gracious and kind to me. It's not about us elevating ourselves. It's about us putting ourselves under scripture and submitting to God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But this is why in New Age society, their principles, manifestation, let's take them back. That's not manifestation, it's prayer. It's affirmation. It's declaring the truth of God. We can afford to speak in to these things because our thoughts aren't just arbitrary. They have a direct and very influential connection with your body's physiological response and your health. Or a more bite-sized, Instagrammable way of putting it is every cell in your body is listening and responding to your thoughts. Every single cell in your body is listening, responding, whether it's going to get the dopamine, the serotonin, whether you're in fight, flight, freeze, fawn, it's paying attention. And then we wonder, why are we so sick? Why is our mental health statistics so dire? Why are we so stressed, overwhelmed? Because I'm not sure we have a mental health problem. I think we have a mind management problem. People don't know how to manage their mind because we manage our mind by aligning it with the truth of Scripture. Because the world and all of its brilliant techniques can only give us a level of resuscitation. It is the living body of Christ. It is the living spirit that can give us resurrection. And that's what we need. We don't just need a little plaster of resuscitation. We need resurrection in body, in spirit, and in soul. We need resurrection. So what is a thought? We looked at it briefly. It's 100 billion nerve cells transmitting impulses through synapses. They're electrochemical electrochemical reactions in your brain. And here's the kicker, that inside the church or outside the church, that up to 70% of those 70 to 90,000 thoughts every single day are negative. They're negative, they're self-deprecating, they're towards a negative bias. And when we think a negative thought, something happens in our brain. It actually, what our brain does is it actually draws precious metabolic energy away from the front of our brain, our prefrontal cortex. Maybe make sure everyone's awake. Let's put a hand on our front of our head. This is where the front part of your brain is. It's where your prefrontal cortex resides. It's where you do all your best thinking. It's where you you can love better. You can receive love better. Empathy, compassion. 
I know that when I'm wanting to hit somebody with a shopping trolley, I'm probably not in my prefrontal cortex. I've kind of gone back here because I might be in like fight mode. Because um, yeah, I, I, I did do that once. I did. It was a long time ago. My eldest now is 10, but I was in Marks and Spencers and he was screaming and he was desperate to be fed and somebody was just walking. So I, I did. I shoved them with my shopping trolley. God, forgive me. And thank you for your grace and your kindness. I did it. I just say that for anybody that might be watching online or in the room who just needs to feel a bit bit better about themselves, that I have hit somebody in the ankles, um, quite elderly gentlemen. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. They were fine and perfectly able um, before. Anyway, so um, we get out of our prefrontal cortex and into the back part of our brain. This is where we do our thriving. This is where we do our surviving. And the problem is we spend a lot of time in survival mode. And this is a problem because God hasn't created you merely for survival. He's not created you just for surviving. He has created you for thriving. We read it in John 10.10. Life and life in all its fullness. Ephesians 3.20. Exceedingly, abundantly more. You have been created for thriving. But we get so stuck in surviving. And our our thoughts are the things that keep us in survival mode. But scripture... I mean, I love it. I struggle with it. You know, I sometimes struggle with what it says. I can struggle to read it. I get distracted. One minute I'm reading my Bible, the next I'm on sending my husband memes of cats. I don't know how it happens. But you know, I, like, I do, I struggle. But there's nothing, nothing more in the entire world that transforms me more than the living, active Word of God. If you want to be transformed, if you, in fact, again, like, haven't got time to go into it, really, this was a Christian study about what happened to people if they read their Bible for five minutes every single day and the impact in their behavior, huge impact in mental health and also outworking of aggressive behaviors, anger, swearing, pornography addiction, all that kind of stuff. Just from reading scripture and soaking ourselves in it, because yes, it has good stuff to say, but it's living and active. It does something. It wasn't written directly to us, but gosh, it's written for us. Even now, in 21st century living, it still impacts us and meets us. We need the Word of God, and it gives us this powerful, powerful part of scripture here in Ephesians 4 that says this You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by all its deceitful desires, but to be made new in the attitude of your minds. This isn't just a good work. This is a God work that we need to do. God, help me. Help me be made new in the attitude of my mind. And thank you that you have made me new in the attitude of my mind. And it goes on to say, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. How do we do that? Verse 23, we be made new in the attitude of our minds. And my hope today is as I go through some very concrete things that you can do that are scientifically and scripturally sound that you can do to help yourself be made new in the attitude of your mind. There's things, there's things that are knitted into you, things and strategies that are biblical and sound and wonderful and godly that you can use to help you manage your mind and manage your thought life. You know, we all have our own habits predispositions. Some of us have been caught and trapped in addiction. Some of us have had immense trauma in our life. But let me speak this truth to you today. 
you might have a predisposition. You might have a predisposition towards mental health issues and anxiety and worry because of your nature and your nurture. You might have a predisposition to addiction. You see now that certain addictions are passed down from generation to generation. But there's not just good news, there's God news. That your predisposition is not your predestination. Just because you have a predisposition to something does not mean that that's hook, line, and sinker, your predestination, and that's the trajectory of your life. That's not how it is. Because God breaks in with his word and his kindness and he reminds you and he lifts our head and takes our face in his hand and reminds us I'm making you holy and whole. He reminds us that he's not critical or judgmental. He's compassionate, full of love. And you know, again, research shows again and again and again, what do people need to heal, particularly from trauma? What is the atmosphere? What ingredients do people need to help them manage their mind, to help them heal from trauma, to help them step into being holy and whole? And do you know what studies show again and again? The two things that we need to feel safe and to feel loved. That's what we need. And how wonderful that in the body of Christ, in the church, we come into a place where we are so safe we're safe to be ourselves, our broken, messy selves. We're so loved. But isn't that just the gospel? We're safe and we're loved. Often we meet Jesus and we think, right, I want to go straight to John 10, 10. I want to go straight to living my life to the full. Okay, but we can only get to John 10, 10 and the breadth of John 10, 10 if we understand the depth of John 3, 16. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. God so loved you. He loved you so much that he put on brown skin that cracked and came down to heaven. He came down from heaven to earth to walk amongst us because God so loved you that he gave his only son that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish, but shall have eternal life. You're loved and you're safe. You're safe now, but you're safe eternally. You are loved and you are safe. And for anybody like me who's prone to a bit of an existential crisis, I don't know if you are. I, I like to have a bit of an existential crisis every so often where I'm like, who am I? What is life about? And I remember, okay, I'm safe and I'm loved. Most of my, my, most of my unhealthy behaviors, historically and presently, that God's working on, they often rear up me wanting to ram somebody with a trolley or whatever it might be. Those things work out in my life when I don't feel safe or I don't feel loved. When we're caught in addiction, often they're just ways that we've tried to soothe ourselves because we didn't feel safe. We didn't feel loved. We need to soothe. And then, so, then what happens is that soothing turns into self-sabotage and it ends up becoming a real addiction and a promise and, and, and a problem but we just needed to feel safe and loved. And so if you're struggling today, may I just ask you to do some reflections and prayers and work with God around, do I feel safe? You might even have to go back a few years. Did I feel safe? Did I feel safe then? Did I feel safe and loved then? Because if not, we try and fill the void with all kinds of things, so safe and loved. And this a bit of a trauma-informed insight again. If you have experienced trauma, managing your mind is more difficult for you. 
you are at a bit of a disadvantage from somebody who hasn't experienced it at all. You will have to work harder, but your predisposition is not your predestination. There's so much hope. There's so much healing. There's so much wholeness that is available to you. You just might need to feel that little bit safer and that little bit more loved because your brain gets caught in survival mode because it's been trying to keep you safe. It's been doing a good job of trying to keep you safe. And I feel like discipleship is like getting out of our back brain survival mode and into our front brain thriving mode where we feel safe and loved, you know? Uh, Yeah, discipleship is a bit of a front brain thing that actually it's very hard to walk in the ways of Christ when we're in survival mode. Um, So when we just need to realize we're so loved. And also Psalm 103, the Lord's compassionate. He's gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Okay. So let me give you some tools that are important scripturally, um, but also they're backed up by science and tools and techniques that fall in line with biblical theology as well as being therapeutically sound. Because 2 Peter 1.3 tells us this, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So there, this is probably what um, would be called mental health, a mental health hack or like top tips for dealing with your mental health. But again, they're scriptural, they're biblical, and let's intersect this therapy and theology, science and scripture and see where we go. So the first one is, if you're making notes or you're online, number one is cognitive self-regulation. Now that's what it's called in the business of oh, academic um, tomfoolery, you know, where we all use big rule, rule um, words that are unnecessary. Really, this is what the Bible calls taking your thoughts captive. And you know, that's something that was a light bulb moment for me personally and in my career. We can choose our thoughts. Just because you think something doesn't mean you have to keep thinking about it. You possess the inherent, which means you've inherited it from the one who created you. You possess the inherent capacity to detach from your own perspective, observe your own thoughts, and if necessary, change them, challenge them, ask, do they align with scripture? Is this true? Does God say this over me? Is this biblical? Is this healthy? Is this holy? Hold it up to Philippians 4.8. Is it true, excellent, noble, praiseworthy? If it's not, don't think about it. Now, this sounds like a super spiritual thing, but it's not. It just means when you're in the shower, and maybe if you're like me, you're having a brilliant hypothetical argument in your head where you've got so many wonderful things to say and you become a verbal ninja just because you have a shampoo bottle. Like, maybe it's, a, it's as simple as saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going down that route. It's when you're driving to work and you start thinking about worst case scenarios and catastrophizing or what if this headache's more than that? Or what if this or what if that? Or all the big questions, stop. Take the thought captive, make it obedient to Jesus. I teach my children. They're in my boys. We've got two boys and a little girl. They're gorgeous and wonderful. And the, particularly my middle boy struggles sometimes when he's going to sleep he gets worried so I say take all of these thoughts imagine scrunch them up into a football and kick them to Jesus and say can you deal with that please let's just have our own adult version of that it might be that put them in a football put it in a cricket bat we'll do whatever hand it over to Jesus because we need to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient to him 2 Corinthians 10 5 tells us just that we destroy arguments and 
every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. We take every thought captive. You have the God-given ability to consistently opt for more constructive, healthy, holy thoughts, enabling you to overcome the influence of negativity and to always make the choice. You have the ability to make the choice. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. That's like a sports person coming up here and saying, we can all have a six pack, you have the choice. Yeah, true, but you've got to put in the work. It's hard and you've got to put in the work and you've got to make some sacrifices and you've got to take responsibility and your ability to respond. This is similar. Yes, we can do it and you're able to do it, but I don't want to say, oh, it's easy, just do this. I'm still doing it again and again every single day. But we not, what I've realized, we are not slaves to our thought patterns. You are not a slave to your thought pattern. That's a lie from the enemy, actually. You have the agency to decide what you give space to. And this is a really good opportunity to zoom into our thoughts for a minute. Because your body has the same response for a hypothetical threat as it does for an actual one. So adrenaline cortisol, cortisol slowing down of your digestion, hyperfocus, going into fight, flight, freeze, fawn. Now that's great if you're about to step out in front of a bus. You need all of that stuff. That's great if you're about to make a decision that's going to cause you that really is life-threatening. But it's not so great when you're having the hypothetical argument in the shower or living out a worst-case scenario on your daily commute to work or while you're in the line to buy cat food or milk or whatever it is. When we're constantly exposed to threatening situations, our body's threat system is activated. God's given us this, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, things to put into action to keep us safe. Now, when that threat system's constantly, constantly activated, we call that trauma. When someone's constantly had to be in threat mode, they've constantly felt unsafe, they've constantly had to try and manage themselves to protect themselves and keep themselves safe. And yet... By our thoughts, if we don't manage them, we take our body through that process regularly by imagining situations, playing them out in our head. And then we wonder, why, why am I not thriving? Why am I anxious? Why am I stressed? Why am I having panic attacks? Why am I overwhelmed? Because we're caught in survival mode. We're caught in the back part of our brain because our body constantly thinks that there's a threat. And the threat is us in our own mind, our own narrative, our own thoughts, our own catastrophizing, our own self-talk. And this became really evident to me personally a year ago, sorry, not a year ago, many years ago, when I became very hyper-focused on my health. If there's anyone here that suffers with health anxiety, you'll know the, how claustrophobic that can feel. I would spend hours researching various illnesses, Googling symptoms. In fact, I'd always done it. Now, we didn't, when I was a teenager or younger, we didn't have Google. We had the Reader's Digest Family Medical. Does anybody remember that? <laughs> Big grey book. Uh, we had it, and I'd be like, at nine years old, Mum, I think I've got dementia. And she'd be like, you haven't. Um, you just don't remember things very well, Joe. But um, honestly, I would... I, 
and I realized now what had happened is I'd started to create connections in my brain. I'd started, and the more I thought about those things, the stronger they became. And it wasn't really until I met Jesus and began to realize that he's got a plan for holiness and health and wellness, body, soul, and spirit, that I began to know that I could challenge those thoughts, even those thoughts that would say, you're going to die at this age. And actually, I feel like somebody's got that in this room. Or somebody online, they've given themselves their date on on their tombstone, gravestone. That's not the word of God. That's a thought that's been planted in your mind, either naturally or supernaturally, or usually a bit of both. Been planted in our mind and you've ruminated on it. And what happens is thoughts that fire together, wire together. So the more we think something, the stronger they become. And then that becomes more of a reality. I want to pray for you. I want to break that off you in Jesus' name. And I want to declare over you that God is making you holy and he is making you whole. That you can take that thought captive and take it straight to Jesus and let him deal with it. That's an enemy thought that's been planted in your mind. Let God breathe his life, hover over you and create life and health and order in that thought. But I remember when I was in this stage of health anxiety, I'd join self-help groups for people. I'd Google it. I had various pains. It would be a pain that moved. It was this part and then it was here. And as soon as I realized that my head was okay, then it would go to my back. And I'm not minimizing pain. There are people who are in pain and it's awful and it's painful. But at one part, one point, I had this debilitating pain in my lower back. And Dan will tell you, I used to walk around with a hot water bottle on my back all the time. And I was obsessed. I really got quite poorly with it um, in my mind more than just in my body. Um, and eventually, as soon as, soon as I, well, I think there must be like a little asterisk next to my name in my file at the doctor saying, watch her. She's, she's one of them. She's, she's a bit health anxious. Just give her a bit of a wide berth. But eventually I was given various scans and te- tests. And when they came back clear, I almost immediately felt pain free. The pain had gone. Now, I'm not minimizing people's pain. And I'm not saying, oh, just change the way you think and your pain will go. I'm saying for me personally, it was directly linked to my thought life because my thoughts were wiring together and firing together and I was making something true and I had confirmation bias and it was manifesting in my physical body because what we give attention to grows. Be careful about your thoughts. Be careful about what you give attention to. Be careful about declaring, I am anxious. If my client says that to me, I say, no, you're not. You're experiencing anxiety. You're not anxious. I'm depressed. No, you're experiencing depression, and that's real, and I've got compassion to you, and let's help you with that, but you're not depressed. You're a son and a daughter of the Most High God. You're a holy priesthood, a royal nation. You've been called and set apart, because as a man thinketh, so he is. So taking your thoughts captive. And you know, often we can feel so fearful. Our thoughts can lead us to a place of feeling fearful. And you know what I read recently? Is that oxytocin, which is the love hormone, it's the one you get when you fall in love, the one you get when you have a baby and you're like, this baby's so beautiful. And everyone else is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Quite a cone head at the back. But anyway, it's... Um, It's because you're so full of oxytocin. It's also, and I mean, this just makes complete sense to me. It's what you get when you eat chocolate. So chocolate releases oxytocin. Thank you, Jesus. But oxytocin 
kind of eats up cortisol. Now, cortisol is our stress hormone that we get when we feel fear or when we're stressed. So essentially, a bit like Pac-Man, oxytocin eats up cortisol. It gets rid of it. So I'm like, hold on. Oxytocin, the love hormone, drives out cortisol, the fear hormone. Perfect love casts out fear. Of course, of course. God tells us, Scripture tells us, we read it in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear. When we feel safe, when we feel loved, which is a God work of knowing Jesus and his goodness and his kindness, we feel safe. We feel loved and our fear begins to settle. And when our fear settles, we get out of survival mode and into thriving mode and we can receive his goodness and his kindness even more. 1 John 4.18, isn't it? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Oxytocin drives out cortisol. Okay, so really quickly, um, this is idea of neurogenesis as well. Neurogenesis means that every morning, in fact, Neurogenesis is a scientific term. It's not even biblical, and I love it. I'm like, oh, that sounds so biblical. Neurogenesis means that every morning when you wake up, you have a whole new load of brain cells, essentially, synapses, connections, neurons. You've got a whole new load of stuff created in your brain ready for you to think new thoughts. His mercies are new every morning. You struggled today? Go to bed. Wake up. You have some new mercies. Often I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to bed. I need some new neurons. <laughs> I need to think more clearly, you know, but God's given you this. Then alpha brain waves. I was talking to lovely Rachel about this when she preached so wonderfully at a conference, big conference festival thing that I was at over the summer. Alpha brain waves. Now, when you fall asleep or when you wake up in that kind of like half asleep slumber, your brain goes into alpha state. Now, again, these are just the words that has been given it in a, in a kind of science paper. But um, alpha state is really characterized by relaxed brain activity. And it serves as a gateway to your subconscious mind. So during these moments when you're just falling asleep, just waking up, your subconscious mind becomes remarkably receptive. It's as if the door to your inner thoughts and beliefs are like slightly ajar, allowing affirmations, positive suggestions, declarations to slip into your subconscious more easily. Isn't that so powerful that you wake up and you declare the word of God? You go to sleep and you declare the word of God and in it goes into your subconscious to help knit your brain together. And your brain, which is neuroplastic, which means that it's not fixed, it can change. You can constantly rewire and change the landscape of your brain. And again, this was a phenomenon that really challenged the traditional notion that the brain structure and functions are fixed. There was a big hoo-ha in the world of neuroscience. We can actually change the landscape of our brain. And I think, well, it wasn't that new because we read it in Romans 12 too. <laughs> Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. NLT says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So we've got all these things capitalizing on alpha brain waves, realizing that we're neuroplastic. So it doesn't matter whether we've thought negatively for years and years and years. It doesn't matter if we're caught in addiction or, um, and we think that's going to be it forever. No, there's grace in your DNA. There's grace in the very connections of your brain, of how God has created you to be. So neurogenesis, alpha brainwaves, neuroplasticity. And then last one, gratitude. So incredibly powerful. 
I mentioned it at the beginning. And maybe just as I'm talking, just be mindful. Just do some business with God in the worship afterwards. Tell Him you're grateful. I'm so grateful for these things. Because you know, as brilliant as your brain is, it can't be grateful and anxious at the same time. It can't do it. It's two different circuits. It can't do that. So when we're beginning to feel anxious, that feeling, for me, I feel it in my chest. I feel it in my chest. It catches my breath. I find it difficult to breathe. I feel overwhelmed. I begin to be grateful. Not because I think, oh gosh, oh no, sorry. I'm so sorry that I'm anxious. I must have more faith. I must be grateful. No, it's because God isn't just instructing us to be grateful. He's inviting us to be grateful. Because he knows when you're grateful, you get serotonin, which is a feel-good hormone. He knows that you get dopamine, which is like a great reward hormone that makes you feel good. And suddenly that anxiousness, that stress, that overwhelm decreases. Suddenly you get out of back brain into front brain and you can begin to thrive and receive his love and give his love more readily. He instructs us to give thanks because he designed us and wired us for gratitude. And here's the thing. There is so much compassion. There's so much grace. I believe God is really moving in this area of mental health to speak to us, to kind of condescend down to our level and look us face to face and say, I'm with you. I've got you. I'm still for you. I still want wholeness and holiness. But hey, there is still a choice. We still need to have the ability to respond. And this is where I want to pray for people of like, what are we going to choose? We can choose to go out of here and go, yeah, that was okay. That was all right. Don't think she should have hit that person in the shopping trolley, but yeah, it was all right talk. It was okay. And we can continue to do life as we always have, or we can think there's, there's principles in there that are theologically and therape therapeutically sound. They're scripturally and scientifically sound. And I'm going to begin to take some of them and activate them in my life. As I was telling my husband about this talk, he was like, activate. This needs to be activated in people's life, and it does. We need to activate what we've heard. And like I said, it's not crazy super spiritual. It's deciding to take our thoughts captive. It's deciding to be grateful when things might feel overwhelming. It's deciding to declare the truth of God when we fall asleep and when we wake up. It's deciding to manage what we program into our brains, knowing that it tries to look for evidence of what we told it. We now need to activate this as the people of God to lean into His wholeness and His holiness. And who knows, we need Christ at the center of this because self-help, as the message puts it, is no help at all. This isn't about self-help. This is about saying, what does God say? What's His blueprint for us so we can find health in our body, our soul, and our spirit? I know that this stuff works because I'm walking it. I'm journeying it. And I know that it's got the kiss of God over it because it's in His Word. So let me read this to you from Deuteronomy 30, 19 that says this, I call heaven and earth to witness to you today. I place before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life, choose, make a choice, choose life so that you, but not just you, you and your children will live. Choose life so that you and your community will live. You and your church will thrive. You and your neighborhood will know the goodness and the truth of God. Choose life choose life. So as we sing, I think um, 
we're going to be prayed for as we sing. I'd love to pray and minister to you a bit. I'd love to do that. I've been praying for you in the run up to this and I believe God is moving in people's life. I believe there are people who need to move from just getting a little bit of resuscitation to see them through to getting a full resurrection, filling of the Holy Spirit to know that they are holy and whole, who they are and who they belong to. So I wanna pray, but I wanna pray for those who, who realise self-help is no help at all. We need Christ at the centre of this. He is the centre of the puzzle of it all. It's all under Him, through Him, to Him, for Him. And if you haven't said yes to Christ yet, I want to invite you to do that right now. I remember how I felt when I first did it. Awkward, embarrassed, like I wanted to run out the room. I was full on in fight mode. Like if anyone comes near me, I'm going to... I just felt embarrassed. But you know, it's changed the trajectory of my entire life saying yes to Jesus and all his goodness and grace. So there's going to be a prayer that comes on the screen. I'm going to read it and ask you to repeat each line over me. And actually, repeating stuff's really good for our brain. It's really powerful for our brain because it ingrains it even further. So I'm going to repeat, say a line, ask you to repeat. And when we've done that, every eye closed, every head bowed, anybody who's saying yes to Jesus a powerful, life-giving decision full of wholeness and holiness that will bring health to your body, your soul and your spirit. I just ask you to put up your hand to break through that resistance of our own ego and all of our own stuff to say, Jesus, I need you. I say it, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I need you. So here we go. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me to forgive all my sin and failures so that I can have a brand new start. Please come into my life and help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to trust and live for you. Amen. Amen. So... If you're comfortable, feel safe and happy to close your eyes. And Holy Spirit, I want to pray that you are doing exactly what you did at the beginning. Hovering, brooding, speaking life, bringing order where there's been chaos, speaking light into darkness. I thank you that that's what you do. And as you move, would you stir hearts? Would you call people to you and say, no, not just resuscitation. I've got full-on resurrection for you. Full-on resurrection life, exceedingly, abundantly more life where I can meet you, teach you, bring wholeness to every area of you, body, soul, and spirit. So if you want to say yes to Jesus, I just ask that in this atmosphere, I'll lift my glasses up so I can't even see you. It's only the host team that can see and they will come and connect with you. So if that's you, I just ask you to put your hand up. Just respond to the goodness of God. Great. Wonderful. It's a good decision. It's a God decision. It's a decision where God will break in. And it's not just a small thing. It's not just a small thing. It's a life-changing thing. May you now, for every person that put up their hand, May you now know that heaven rejoices over you. 
declares wholeness and healing over you. This is a new day, a new beginning, new mercies. And thank you, Jesus. Let's thank God for His goodness, His kindness, His grace. It's good stuff. And now I want to pray for those who struggled with their mind, who know what it's like to be Googling symptoms, who know what it's like to just find it hard to even get out of bed, let alone get into alpha brainwave state in the morning. Pray for those who feel a sense of shame that they're going around this mountain again, they're anxious again, they're depressed again. May you know who you are, whose you are, that God is so compassionate. So I wanna pray for you and I'm going to, I'm gonna ask if you want prayer for this area. I'm gonna ask you if you're comfortable to stand. If you're not, feel free to stay seated. But I invite you now to stand for those who need God to come and hover over their mind and create some order out of chaos. If I was stood there, I'd be standing. So if that's you, I invite you to stand. I want to pray for you. And it might take guts. And it might take a bit of, oh, I don't want to be so public about this. But God's good and kind. We're in a family. And let me, res- let me state again, you're safe and you're loved. In this place, you are so safe and you are so loved. And so God, I thank you for everyone that's standing or people that may be standing on the inside. I pray that you would meet with them. I thank you, God, that they're here in this place today. I thank you for all that you've done and all that you're going to do in their lives. And I wanna declare with the truth of God held in my hand and my heart, I wanna declare wholeness and healing and holiness over them, body, soul, and spirit. Thank you, God, that your word says, if you say you will do it, you will do it. I wanna pray for people who've had thoughts that worry them, that feel bleak and dark. Would you breathe life? Would you breathe hope? I wanna pray for people who feel hopeless, like this is a dead end, that there's no way that they can get out of this pattern, that this is their story on repeat. Would you press, not just pause on that story, but stop and create a brand new story, a brand new narrative with you at the center. I wanna pray for people who overthink to the point that it causes them to be ill. I wanna pray that they would know that they can take their thoughts captive and that they can make them obedient to you. Thank you, God, that we don't have to censor ourselves, that we don't have to edit ourselves, that we don't have to be a polished version of ourselves, God, that we can come to you with all the stuff, knowing that you'll meet us, that you love us, that you're about the work of healing and wholeness and holiness. And now, God, I wanna pray for those that know what it's like to not feel safe and to not feel loved. I wanna declare over you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No matter how you've self-soothed, and you know, you know what you've done to try and self-soothe and how it's maybe got you into a pattern of self-sabotage. There's no condemnation for you, just an invitation from God to say, let me make you feel so safe. I saw you. I saw you as a child feeling so unsafe. I saw you and I'm with you and I'm for you and I've brought you to this house to feel safe and to feel loved, to feel nurtured, to know there's no condemnation, just kindness, compassion, healing and wholeness. He's seen you. He's Elroy, the God who sees. Not one part of what you went through, he didn't see. 
When he wept, he wept. So God, for those that have felt unsafe, unloved, would you minister to them deeply, profoundly, into their inner person, right into their spirit, and bring healing and wholeness. For everyone here, may you bless them, protect them, be very, very present in their lives as they walk this out. Put good, good people around them. And may they have some wonderful kingdom confirmation today that they're so safe, that they're so loved. Thank you for this house that creates that place for them. So God, we love you. We give ourselves to you, body, soul, and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope to see you again soon. God bless.